You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 278 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Gina Militia. How are you, Gina? I'm great, Val. First episode for the Roaring Twenties. That's what oh, we're in. Yeah. We're in a new decade. The Roaring Twenties. The Roaring Twenties. Diddly, diddly, diddly. I feel like it feels old well, fashioned, it's, my, it's but our it's second not. episode. It's our second episode, isn't it? Yeah, oh, it could be. Our, yes. Oh, we, we did, did one. Yes. Oh, yes. Bummer. So our second episode. Second episode of the, the Roaring Twenties, but I forgot to mention that in the first episode. But how exciting. <laughs> Very exciting. Um, I don't know where 2019 went, but anyway. It's gone. Um, I kind of like the sound of 2020. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm excited about this uh, this decade, and I'm excited mm. about our episode today, which is how yes. to be the best newborn photographer in the world with guest Anne Geddes, which is I very mean, very cool. How cool Anne Geddes? I mean, there was you know oh, like a period where every single per- household had an Anne Geddes calendar or diary or. Um, some kind of product with with these gorgeous newborn babies that she somehow managed to photograph in the bizarrest sort of situations, like as a lettuce leaf or as um, dressed up as a bumblebee or yeah. lying on a pumpkin or something like that. So um, her images were very original and and uh, iconic to this day. So very, very keen to get stuck into that chat. Yes. But first we have a shout-out uh, to Sammy who kindly left us a review on Apple Podcasts. Sammy is from Great Britain and Sammy says, my most listened to podcast ever. <laughs> Sammy says, never a day goes by without me listening to my two favorites, Gina and Valerie. Driving to work is my podcast time and something I look forward to as I love learning and believe there's always room for improvement. I have my own product and lifestyle photography business, but I've picked up so many tricks of the trade since Gina and Valerie entered my life. Great tips and advice and a giggle in every episode. So if you're a photographer or just wanting to learn more about the craft, I can't recommend this podcast highly enough. Keep up the good work, guys. You've got me hooked. Oh, wow. wow. Thank you, Sammy. That's thank amazing. Yeah. Thank you awesome. for, to have listeners all the way from the UK, from Great Britain, from all over the world. It's just fantastic and really appreciate you taking the time, Sammy, to leave us a review on iTunes. And of course, if you have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, we'd really be grateful because uh, it really helps us in the rankings. Now, Gina, what else has been happening in Gina world? 
Well, I've just been working on some new tutorials for the Gold community. So I'm working on a whole series of uh, different tutorials. So like how to ditch photo face, very important when you're uh, posing uh, your portraits that you don't want to have that photo face that people often pull when they're aware of the camera do you know what yes. I mean so getting rid of that is like this is it's not a technical thing you can't do it with the lighting or the lens that you use it's the work that goes into relaxing your model to get them to to look authentic and relaxed and I'm also working on a series about photo composites so photo composites is something I do a lot for the TV and film industry so often we can can't get the cast all in one room at once and this also happens in the corporate world where you might be doing a group shot of say real estate agents and you can get Dave and Sally and Jim but Tommy can't make it to the shoot so you can do the uh, the shots at different times and then comp them together and comp them together with any background and also uh, most importantly comp them together so that they look like they were you can't tell that they weren't in the room at the same time so this is something that I've been doing for 20 years so I'm breaking down uh, my technique in doing that and the best way to uh, light and to shoot and like all the little tricks that I do that make sure that when it comes down to putting it all together it's going to be uh, a lot easier and you can also do it a lot faster. Very very exciting and there's so much happening in the gold community where Gina is um, you know with the fantastic group of members there's tutorials that drop regularly there's um, all sorts of really useful resources and if you want to find out a bit more about the gold community have a listen to this this podcast is brought to you by the gold community one of the things i love is mentoring the incredible photographers who are in my gold community i recently asked kerry setch about how much the gold community has had an impact on her photography it's just level upon level upon level. So when I first started, I really didn't understand even portraiture and lighting at yep. all. So to learn those basics, but then to push myself and for you to push me in that to um, to uh, go that next level has been really incredible. So as well as the support and connections that have developed within the community. So um, yeah, it's been really good in the access to resources. If you'd like to find out more about the Gold community, just go to ginamilitia.com and click on Join the Community. All right, so this week's topic is awesome. How to be the best newborn photographer in the world with guest Anne Geddes. Oh, Gina, this is very cool. It is very cool because, like, you know, uh, Anne Geddes sort of burst onto the scene in the 90s and that was when I was coming up as a photographer and uh, I remember seeing her images for the first time, those iconic uh, baby images that she was shooting and thinking, oh, my God, there's just nothing like this at the time. So there was... Um, two Anns that, that uh, burst onto the scene at the time. You know, there was Annie Leibovitz and mm. Anne Geddes as well. And uh, both of them were just like, was so cool for me as a, uh, you know, a female photographer coming up the ranks to see these uh, two amazing uh, photographers coming up as well. Uh, it's just really cool. So, um I mean, Anne Geddes is like one of the most respected photographers in the world and she creates these iconic award-winning images. And do you know that uh, her work has been published in over 84 countries and her books have been translated to over 24 languages? Amazing. And get this, 
She has sold over 19 million books and 13 million calendars. Amazing. So she now lives uh, and works out of New York. And um, in this interview, she uh, generously shares so much amazing information. We talk about her early years working as a portrait photographer selling her first calendars door to door and wow. then uh, she tells this fantastic story about how look at this <laughs> being discovered by Celine Dion and then the story of uh, her going on Oprah uh, and then like literally overnight mm. becoming a New York Times best seller. So, um, and, and we go through the importance of shooting, you know, meaningful and authentic portraits. Uh, she talks about what a typical shoot looks like uh, and uh, so much other uh, great stuff, including uh, her, her very important charity work uh, and what that means to her. So, um, I'm so grateful that she uh, gave us the time to do this interview. Uh, I'm excited to uh, have you guys listen to it. So shall we have a listen? Absolutely. Here we go. Anne Geddes. Anne Geddes, welcome to the show. How are you going? Thank you. It's great to be hearing an Australian accent from all the way here in New York. <laughs> I know, it's two Aussie accents and uh, yours is uh, probably a bit softer than mine because you've had some uh, quite a bit of time. How long have you been living in New York now? We've been here coming up six years next April. Right, right, uh, right. And so, but I don't think I'll ever develop a, um, an American accent so much. Like we've got a really dear friend who um, lives in Australia. He's American, and he's been there in Australia for almost what forty years, and he just sounds American through and yeah. through. Yeah. But I think my accent also um, maybe has a little bit of a Kiwi touch to it. I can hear that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, we lived in um, New Zealand for 18 years. When my husband Kel was in television, he went over there to launch um, TV3, which was yeah. a brand new network. And so our girls, were, um, who are now in their early 30s, were, did all their schooling there and everything. So, you know, it's a mix of um, Kiwi and Australian. So they'd, so have, I, I they'd have strong Kiwi accents? No, not so much. But every, every now and again, you pick it up. And um, and I think living over here in the States full time, you're, you're quite acutely aware when you listen to Australian accents whether there's a bit of Kiwi in there as well. Yeah, we can tell the difference, but I think it's hard for you know anyone else uh, to tell yeah. the difference. But it's just yeah. a, a kind of a, a, a little bit of a twang there. But it's beautiful. I love right. it. Um, yeah. I want to ask you, Anne, um, there was a moment uh, when your uh, first coffee table book came out, and I want to know what little Anne Geddes, who uh, little eight-year-old Anne Geddes, thought of the twenty-five-year-old Anne Geddes. Uh, I think thirty-five-year-old Anne Geddes, who was uh, standing next to Oprah Winfrey when Oprah Winfrey held up your book and said, "This is my favourite coffee table book of all time." What do you think? little Anne Geddes would have thought of that moment? Well, I didn't really appreciate the moment at the time because, um, and I, I mean, I love Oprah. She's just, I, I have never found anyone who has ever said anything bad about Oprah no. Winfrey. I mean, she's just incredible. And But at the time um, that Down in the Garden came out, which was 1996, um, and they invited me to be on the show, 
I'd never watched one of Oprah's shows. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, oh, okay, you know, that's that's sounds good you know and i was doing a lot of other interviews as well right and and but we went over to chicago where where she did the show for all those years and um i i was just it, it was unreal because you know let me explain it this way gina when i was photographing down in the garden you're doing it you're doing all the work and all the creativity before the actual publicity. So while you're creating this work, you really have no idea of where it's going to go. Mm. And and any artist would really think that, anyone who writes or composers or, you know, photographers and so on. And so, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have the level of fame that um, I could never have imagined, mm. have, right? And um, and so when she held up that book, well, first of all, she walked out onto the stage um, with two little newborns dressed as bumblebees, you know, and I was fretting about it because her jacket was a bit prickly and all of this sort of thing, you know, all of this. But sometimes it's better to come into a situation like that without being in awe of someone like Oprah because yeah. said I'd never actually watched the show. Wow. And, um, yeah, when she held up the book, um, at, the, at the end of the segment, uh, I had no idea even then, really, that it would shoot to the top of the New York Times bestseller list because I had no real idea of her power either, right? Wow. And you know, to get to where, if I can go back a little bit um, with the backstory to this, because the reason um, the book actually um, – came to be so popular was also a connection with Celine Dion and um, who I didn't know at the time. And it was, and I think that's still, I didn't know a lot of people at the time, Gina. That's, yeah. you know, that's what I'm getting to. But at the, you know, they still do it now. I, I'm pretty sure in magazines and or wherever people get their information. Um, before Christmas, uh, you know, they are celebrities, you know, what they're giving as gifts and, and so on. And so they had asked Celine um, what, to, you know, the, her top 10 gifts. And um, someone pointed this out to me and said, oh, look, she mentioned your book down in the garden. And so um, I was like, oh, okay, but I didn't really think anything of it. And, and that's how it kind of went from word of mouth um, to the fact that this book just literally – you know, as I said, zoom to the top of the New York Times bestseller list. And, but I, by that stage, had flown back to New Zealand. And so, I, in, you know, the, with the benefit of hindsight, it was quite a healthy environment to be in because I wasn't, I have, I have actually never seen anyone physically buy a copy of Down in the Garden, right? Right. Because I had gone back to my studio in Auckland and was doing what I always did. So I was away from all the hoopla, yeah. if, if what I mean. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I think, like, I'm interested to know um, what – because by then you're 35 years old, right? Was I? Um, so it's 10 years into your career. You started at 25 and uh, so 96 you would have been uh, 30? Yeah, it's pretty close. Yes, yes, yeah. I'd say so. so I'm not great at math. Um, 
If that had happened 10 years earlier, how do you think that would have uh, changed you as a person? Do you think you would have been um, able to handle that sort of um, popularity earlier on? And would that have changed your work compared to being having done that 10 years prior, which we'll talk about in a sec, um, having that sort of – because you went from – like overnight, that would have been like you went. Well, it was also a time um, before the internet. Mm. And so there was that sense of, oh, my God, overnight sensation, that sort of thing. It just it just wasn't there with me. Yep. And I think that, um, you know, my work has always come from a core of what I'm trying to say mm. with, with my work. And, um, you know, I mean, there's so many ways of explaining this but you know my work is about the joy of new life Mm. um, about the sense of purity that small humans bring to the world and they make us more gentle they make us want to be better people uh, and that's at the core of where I come from right if I had ever been a different sort of person then I would never have been able to have the trust of parents um, you know, who were handing me their beautiful newborn babies and because they believed in the message as well, right? Yeah. And, and so that, that sense of, oh, you're a celebrity or you're a star or something, that it just wasn't in my world. It really yeah. wasn't, you know. I was just going back and doing what I always loved to do and, and relaying the message that I always wanted to relay. So I just I just want to set the scene for that time. So we're talking about the 90s and this like in terms of baby photos and children's portraiture what we had around in Australia at least was that that you had the choice of a pixie photo and that was pretty much it. And the pixie photo I don't know if pixie was in um the states as well but uh, certainly in Australia it was like just very kind of, I have to say, daggy portraits, really. They were very simple, and uh, that that was all there was. And then suddenly you came on the scene, and here's this whole way of um, you reinvented the baby portrait, and it, it, look, it was a big deal, and it became like a style, the Angetti style. We're going to do this like an Angetti's, you know, which, which was a big deal. Yeah, I know people say that, and they still say it to me today, mm. it's oh, everyone's copying you. And then I look at the images and I think, well, that's not what I would do. That's nothing like what I would do. I think the only common denominator in a lot of work that's out there today is that there's a baby in there. Yeah. Um, And it's kind of flattering in a way because, you know, people think that I created every baby image that's now done in the world. And it's it's not really like that at all. I mean, I... I, um, I consider myself a storyteller and it's just the babies, I've always battled a little bit with it in in relation to the fact that people, because of the subject matter, people don't put a sense of importance on it. Mm. Um, and um, I struggled a little bit with that. And then into the bargain, down in the garden, um, which was my first coffee table book, was really meant to be a children's story um, because our girls were small and, well, they were sort of, you know, I can't remember now, like um, six and four or something. And, you know, I love 
um, the books that I, I, lo- I love the way people write for children. Mm. And, and, you know, I mean, they're so in- incredibly clever and, um, and some of those books that have become classics and some of the new ones even today for children are it's just a beautiful way of speaking to someone's innocent mind, right? And The Owl in the Garden just kind of developed over two or three years and it developed along with the fact that I was still doing some portraiture and I was doing um, greeting cards because the greeting cards actually came before um, the books and the calendars. But there, there was always this attitude, um, and there still is today, right, um, that w- when I was first um, thinking about doing a calendar, for instance, um, and the first calendar really, uh, a lot of the images in there were from my years of, my 10 years of doing portraiture. Um, just really simple, you know, beautiful, classic, a lot of black and white and that sort of thing, right? And But we couldn't find a publisher. And these publishers were saying, oh, there's so many baby calendars out there. And But I went and looked and I couldn't find one. Right. I'm like, what, what are you thinking? Like, it, where can you show me a baby calendar, right? And so, you know, the, when, when my first calendar came out, we um, – we had to sell them door to door. Um, really? This is in, absolutely. In New Zealand, because we couldn't find a publisher, um, we printed, um, we, we self-published. I've got my husband here. Did we self-publish the first one or? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm just um, double-checking on my facts here. But we employed university students, and I think we gave them like, you know, a dollar a calendar to sell them on street corners. And um, um, my husband and I, Cal and I, on the weekends, I I distinctly remember Sunday afternoons with our two little girls in the back seat of the car um, being occupied with books and toys and everything. And I would drive and we'd pull up at houses where you'd see someone out there, you know, cleaning their car or watering their lawn and Cal would go in and say, would you like to buy my wife's calendar? Um, and, and we were donating certain proceeds to the prevention of child abuse, right? right. Which is, is something that we have done for years and years, right? Um, yeah. You know, there's a backstory to that and everything, but that's really my thing, right? Um, and that's how we sold them. And then the second year, we started to attract, um, you know, some attention and um the, an Australian publisher came forward and said, you know, he did the Elle McPherson calendars in, in that time, right? right. Yeah. yeah. Huge. And um, so I made this joke somewhere in an interview, oh, my nudes are better than Elle's, right? <laughs> and, Paul, um, and said, oh, well, you know, maybe I can publish your calendar. And I, I think I'm jumping forward a year, actually. I think it was two years before we got a publisher in Australia. And um, then the next thing, we sold like 250000 in Australia in that first year when it was published because it wasn't just the fact that they're cute babies, right? And that's the thing that kind of frustrates me a lot um, with my work. Even today, like I can – I've just done – in 2015, I did the signs of the zodiac and all of the research and the preparation and the all the pre-production and and you know you just got to get it right and people look at it and go oh my god that baby's adorable. <laughs> right? 
And I'm like, yeah, but what about everything else, you know? So um, it, it, I think people actually got it. Right? Yeah. They really did get it. That, you know, it was more than just cute pictures of babies, right? That it had a sense behind it. And we had, you know, the fact that we were um, raising awareness of child abuse, um, which was a very strong thing and, and always will be with us. And so then it grew to, you know, the, the US and, and Europe and so on. Because, you know, the thing is, Gina, babies are a universal language. And when you, because of everything that they represent, and if you looked at one of my images of, you know, I've got them here in, in my room here where I am working, um, you know, you can look at a picture of a baby and it could, if you're in Germany with the calendar, you're like, in your mind, it's a German baby or it's an Italian baby or it's an American baby or, you know, um, it, it, they, they really are universal. Yeah. And one of the most gratifying things that has happened with me is that when I travel through all, all through the years, you know, people would just be like, oh, you're in Gettys, and they hand you their baby, right? And <laughs> I mean, so many stories, I can keep you going for hours, right? But that's the lovely thing, right? There's this sense of joy, and it's a shared joy. And um, I think that's why, um, you know, I've been able to keep storytelling. I'm, I'm not just photographing babies because they're cute. I mean, they are us at the very beginning of our lives, right? They they are the future. They're our chance at new beginnings. Yeah. And that's the way I always feel about my work. That's fantastic. I can't believe you went door to door. I love that story. And, uh, you know, it, I think it, it, it's important for everyone listening to, to understand that it's like we all see everyone's highlight reels today on social media yeah. and it looks from the outside, it looks easy and it looks like it happened overnight. But for you, um, that moment when you were on the Oprah show and she's holding up your book, uh, that was uh, about 10 years in the making. So before that, I want to go back to where you started. So you started doing uh, portrait photography and yes. you actually, uh, you interned for a little bit first with a Melbourne photographer. Is that right? Yes, Leanne Temme, um, who's still a photographer in, um, in Melbourne. And, um, you know, let, let me look, if there, are, if there are people listening here who are just starting out, um, or and and don't have the confidence and and also to the people who have been photographing for years and years and years. Um, so everything you see on social media these days is no one is saying I'm having a really shitty day, right? Yep. And this is what my shitty day looks like, right? Mm. They're just not doing that, right? They're, oh, this is my best life and all that sort of thing. But, you know, I struggled in in my early years. Mm. Um, Kel, Kel and I actually got married in Hong Kong. Um, and um, I started a little bit there. Uh, because um, I had a roof over my head and, you know, obviously he had a job and um, he just gave me his second-hand Pentax K1000 camera. Now, this would have been in the early 80s. Um, And I started to, you know, can I go back a little bit further, right? I've always been fascinated by the sense of capturing a single moment in time that will last forever, right? Mm. And I don't have any 
images of myself as a newborn baby. Um, I'm one of five girls and I was brought up on a cattle station in the far north of Australia. And admittedly it was the 50s and box brownies and all that sort of thing. But I do not have a image of my mother pregnant with me or I'm the middle of five girls, right? And um, or a picture of myself as a newborn. And to me, you know, when, when I was going through my teenage years, I was fascinated. This was when Life magazine was in its heyday. And I was absolutely fascinated by the fact that photojournalists were telling stories purely through imagery. And of course, with Life magazine, it was all about people as well, right? And mm. And I used to subscribe to Life magazine and I would stare at these images and think that is just incredible. That's incredible, you know, that that it's just that one moment. And I still believe today that in the power of a single image, right, as opposed to moving images, mm. that's that strength of a single image that's just there forever. Um, and so, you know, that's where I started to think that I may be, able to be a photographer because I, I was like when I first picked up a camera and I was like 25 mm. I was the first photographer I'd ever met right? <laughs> when I was when I was at school in um, North Queensland there were no photography courses right and um, so I never it never really occurred to me that I could do that but for anyone who's starting out and I'm sure a lot of people who are very experienced will relate to this right You've got to find your own groove, right? Don't, you know, there's a lot of information out there about how you can be fabulous and how you can do your lighting and how you can, you know, what camera you should buy and what lens you should buy. And you know what? That's nothing. That's nothing to do with finding your groove, okay? Yeah. And, and I struggled um, with, you know, I, I, I really wanted to, start photographing people and the best way for you know a 25 year old female at the time was to photograph families in their backyard and things like that right and it never really clicked with me the moment the moment it clicked was we had moved down to melbourne um with cal was um with um gtv9 yeah and um uh i saw an ad in the local newspaper we were living in camberwell and uh, and I was pregnant with our second daughter. That's right. And I saw an ad in um, the local, um, you know, um, newspaper, and there was a very very simple image of a a young child who was just. It was a studio shot, right? right. And uh, the photographer was Leanne. And and so I remember turning the pages, and and I just stopped, and I was like, oh my god, that's so. I just loved that, right? And so I called her and said, would you like an unpaid assistant? And she's like, oh, sure, you know. Um, and so she photographed on Saturday mornings. And, um, and so I remember when I walked into the studio, I was like, it was like coming home. It was like, yes, this is, this is where I need to be, right? And I love nothing more than the potential of an even now, right, of an empty studio, like, or you can, doesn't have to be a studio, you can, but being able to create something out of empty space that wasn't there before, and that's the magic, 
Um, and so that's how I got started doing portraits. And soon after that, we moved to New Zealand. And that's where I really started to, um, um, you know, think of, well, I actually thought, well, what I'm going to do is maybe photograph two days a week because I had a four-year-old and a two-year-old. Right. Um, and what happened was, uh, tell me when if I talk too much, Gina. No, you never. Yeah. Keep going. It's great. Okay. <laughs> what happened was, because Cal was um, launching this television network, um, they obviously wanted to know what his wife was up to. And so I had a really, really limited portfolio, and I sent it to uh, a magazine. I'm not sure if they're still there anymore, called More Magazine in New Zealand. It was a monthly magazine, quite a prestigious one. Right. And... Uh, um, I had half a dozen images from my garage studio in Melbourne and prints, of course, you have to do, had to do prints in those days. Yeah. And the, the editor was so taken with, um, in particular, one of the images, when it was black and white and hand coloured, you know, and that was all the rage at the time. Yeah. And um, she printed it full page in the, the next edition. And my phone just, people just went ballistic, right? And wow. I remember standing in, in a dairy, they call the corner store a dairy in New Zealand. Oh, um, we call that, a, is that like a milk bar in, a, yeah. in Australia? Yeah, so the, the dairy, I didn't know that. Yeah, they call them a dairy. And so I was standing in my local dairy, I went down to buy more magazine to see what was going on, right? And there was this lovely Indian gentleman behind the counter and I don't think he spoke English very well. <laughs> But I opened more magazine and I'm like, I had no one else to talk to. I said, this, this is, this is my image, right? And he's looking at me like, what? You know, I just remember walking out of that dairy going, oh my God. And then of course there were no cell phones or anything. And so my cell phone just kept ringing and ringing and ringing. And um, that's how I got started, right? And so I ended up um, you know, my first portrait studio was just me doing everything. And in, it was a tiny little, like, oh gosh, 500 square foot studio. And, you know, to change a background, I had to empty the whole room out into the corridor. And thankfully, I had understanding neighbors yeah. or tenants in the building, right? Um, and I just gradually built my business through word of mouth. But you know, I, always, I love children and I love the way they think and, you know, and, and so I just gravitated towards, hey, I, I first said to myself, all right, Anne, you, you need to be the most successful um, portrait photographer in Auckland, right? right? And then it sort of went to, well, maybe New Zealand and then well, maybe Australia, and then it sort of went on from there. Yep. But it didn't happen overnight, right? I did portraiture for 10 years yep. um, of my career. And that was – and I tell our girls who are both photographers now, and they kind of roll their eyes. But that's that was doing my 10,000 hours, if yes. people know that question, right? And and so you, you make your mistakes, um, and you fix your mistakes, and you make sure that you don't make them again, and you imagine – how you want to tell your story. So if you're starting out, you've got to be a storyteller. You're not – don't copy other people because that doesn't make you a photographer. That just makes you someone who's making pretty pictures, mm. right? You, you have to say, well, what is your story? What, what are you saying through your work? 
okay? And um, that's what I did. And so, you know, over those 10 years, um, they taught me um, how to relate to people and children of different ages because there's a huge difference between photographing a newborn and photographing a six-month-old or an 18-month-old and um, a two-year-old, you know. And, and, you know, like I know now that when I go into the studio like, and I, I started to do private portraits again um, over here that regardless of the circumstances, and there can be pretty unusual circumstances when you're dealing with, you know, babies and children and, and um, relationships and that sort of thing, that you know how to, you know what to do. And you probably know what I'm talking about here because you've been doing the same thing for a long time, right? Yeah. When you go into a shoot, you've got to be nervous, right? You've got to be like, oh, my God, am I going to be able to pull this off, right? But it, in the sense of it is that if something goes a little bit left or right of the way you were thinking the image was going to go, then you go with that as well and you make it even better, right? Yeah. And I, I always say don't photograph with blinkers on, right, because you'll miss the magic and, and the magic happens happens so quickly. You know, I remember a, a quote that um, Bernice Abbott, um, if, if you're a photographer who knows what's going on in the industry, you know, I mean, she's she had this, comment that I've, I've kept for years and I, I, I do a bit of speaking and everything and I and I use it and she said, you know, the, the moment was there, it was right there in the air and I grabbed it, right? Oh, and, beautiful. and that's that's what it's all about, right? And so, you know, I think there's just a lot of photography out there these days that's it's just so perfect and photoshopped and I don't know, you know, I mean, and it all kind of looks the same. Yeah. So, you know, I would, I would say to people who are starting out, just look inside yourself, right? Don't look outside, look inside and, and ask yourself, why am I calling myself a photographer, right? Because it's your job to fascinate the viewer, right? It's your job to have someone look at your image and go, oh, my gosh, right? And for whatever reason, right? And you, people flicking through magazines and you stop every now and again, you stop and you think that that is just another point of view that's awesome, right? And you've got to have another point of view. So anyway, I'm lecturing a little bit, but. <laughs> that was great. But yeah, you, you're right about like a, a beautiful image uh, should stop you and, and, and make people take notice. And uh, I love that you talk about that, uh, that 10 years and getting that 10,000 hours in because I think there's a lot of um, misinformation out there at the moment where you could be led to believe that if you uh, do uh, a few things right, then you should be able to get a successful photography business where you're doing amazing work up and running in six months. And, well, but, and I, listen, I think you can technically learn photography in that time. Uh, and yeah. I've seen it done, and it's there's no no doubt you can learn how to what lens to use, what exposure, how to light, all of that. But it's that 
that X factor, that, that extra, that being able to read the room, being able to put your energy into a photo and make it your own, that takes, that's where the 10,000 hours comes in. And it's like, um, I would describe you as uh, like a baby whisperer, right? So you can <laughs> take a baby, take an image, and it's not just a photo of a beautiful baby, but you capture, you capture them, you capture their personality. And I think that, that, that doesn't happen overnight. You, you had to do the work. So I just want to ask you in that time, that 10 years as you're starting out and experimenting, and I love that you started in a garage as well, because again, people think, all right, I've got to get all the gear, have the studio, have everything before I start. And that's also, I th don't think, um, a good idea. I think it's great to be able to start small and build. So what, what sort of... Um, what sort of setup did you start with and did you just build from there? And in terms of your style, how did it develop over that 10 years? Well, that's, that's, all, that's a very big question. You know, I mean, I, I spent literally the first few years with one light. I mean, there, yep. there's really only one light source anyway. Was it flash or were you using continuous at that time? Because from memory, yeah. I mean, I was assisting, I started assisting in 88, 89, and the photographer that I worked with shot a lot of fashion and high-end stuff. He did a lot of work with continuous lights. Yeah, I don't use continuous lights. You know, I thought just to go back a little bit, I'm, um, we've got a friend here in, in New York, Jay Maisel, um, yeah. who's, um, you know, you've that. heard of Yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, he's been at it forever and ever and ever. Right now he's in his 80s, late 80s. Now. And, you know, you, you, it's interesting what you say, right? You, you, it need your, your story needs to come before what camera do I get? What mm. lights do I get? It's like, what do you want to say, right? Mm. What are you getting excited about? And and it's even like today when I go into a studio, I'm, I'm continuing to tell my story. I'm not doing what I've done before. I never want to do what I've done before, right? And, mm. and so Jay told me once about, and he doesn't, did a lot, he does a little bit now, but teaching um, around um, America and so on. And he was laughing one day because he came, he was having a conversation with a, um, a student who, um, uh, was, who said to him, um, well, you know, I've done a few courses and I've learned all about light. And Jay said, oh, well, that's funny because I don't know anything about light and I've been doing this for, for the last 50 years, you know. Um, but it's not about where you put your light, it's not about your f-stop, it's not about your shutter speed, it's just about what's in your heart, right? Yeah. So what do you want to say? And people, I get asked even now, look, well, with this shot, with this image, how did you do it, right? I'm like, I don't know, I just did what I needed to do on the day, mm. right? And there's no recipe, there, and, and so there's too many people following recipes these days, and, you know, to follow... Here's another, this is not my quote, but it's so relevant, right? Following a recipe doesn't make you a chef. Yeah. And people need to remember that, right? And you get much more excited about your work if you are thinking, how can I tell my story, right? And how can I show 
something that's coming from within me because it's not about the camera and it's not about the light and it's not about your lenses and blah, blah, blah. You know, my, my daughter does a um, – one of my daughters does a great um, um, in, imitation of what it's like to go into a camera store <laughs> and, and the things that they say, you know, and it's just like, oh, for God's sake, you know, it's just – there's a lot of frustrated photographers around, I've got to be honest, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah anyway, keep asking me questions. All right, so um, during that time when you're, you're finding your voice, I guess, uh, or your eye, uh, taking those uh, like hundreds or thousands of uh, portraits, when did you decide to – because you like obviously uh, taking off and you're making lots of money, but – what the, the thing that happens when you get busy as a photographer is your work tends to go in a certain way and there's only so much you can do when you're being paid to do commercial images. When did you decide to start doing personal projects? Well, and how important know, was that to, you know, the development of your that, that signature style? Yeah, I was, um, I was fortunate um, and I'm still fortunate. You know, look, I do these days some beautiful campaigns, you know, raising awareness of meningitis and, mm. and, um, and so on. Um, but I was fortunate in that uh, I was able to uh, create images that gave myself a voice and I was able to publish them in the greeting cards and the calendars and, and the books, right? So I wasn't actually working to someone else's agenda. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, I, the way I started doing the images that I became known for was, um, tell me if I, you don't want to hear this story, but um, I was doing portraiture for 10 years. Now, it's very stressful working with young children, right? Mm -hmm. They're unpredictable. They can be very frustrating because you can have a certain idea in mind and it's just never going to happen. Um, that you know, that, that wears you down a little bit. And so I got to a point where I was like, you know what, I'm going to, once a month, I'm going to create an image just for myself. So it's, so I'm answerable only to me. Mm. And, um, you know, I'm not going to have a parent like, oh, but they're not smiling or something like that, right? You know, I was still doing the portraiture, but once a month I started and, um, the two first images that I did were the babies and the cabbages, um, Reese and Grant. Yep. And would you believe one um, Reese sent me an email the week before last, sitting on the beach holding his little baby girl. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, and um, another image of a little baby called Joshua, which was black and white, um, with the baby hanging off the meat hook. Yep. Um, and you know, people have speculated about the meat hook and I was like, that was my local butcher. I was, I'm like, how can I, you know, have this baby hanging in muslin, which is the way they used to weigh babies in the baby clinics, right? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that was the reason for that. But it, it was great for me because I could just um, just do something for myself, right? And, and I remember the black and white image of Joshua um, after I'd printed it. And I took it home and I put it on our dining room table and I looked at that and I thought, yeah, I like that. I like that. And it was just me, right? It didn't matter. 
Um, but then I started to realize that other people actually liked it as well, right? And that helped me, that support helped me to continue to tell my story. And, you know, I've been fortunate in that I've been able to create some images over the years, which when I created them, I had no idea that they would end up being so meaningful to other people. You know, and a great example of that is um, an image that I shot in 1993 um, of a premature baby called Manisha. Yeah. Um, in, uh, you know the one in the I big... I do know the one. It's, it's just gorgeous. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't, um, you know, it was 1993 and Down on the Garden came out in 1996. So, you know, it's before all of that. But I just really, I love my subject matter, right? Yeah. And, and I feel for my subject matter. That's the way you're going to get to the core of your photography. You need to be passionate about that. And I wanted to tell the story of how these tiny, tiny babies um, have a sense of strength and courage to survive. And a lot of them don't, of course, right? Yeah. And, and it took – I remember shooting that image and, um, and taking it home and printing it and thinking, uh, you know, it was it – was, ended up being in one of my calendars and um it it's just it belongs to the world right mm. but when i when i photographed that i had no idea right and you you want to go into your work with a sense of purity and a sense of hope that you can tell your story but also change someone's life in some way and over the years i i can't even tell you how many times people have come up to me and said that image meant everything to me when we had a premature baby in a NICU and um, I used to have it on the fridge door, on the bathroom mirror, um, in the car, you know, in my wallet um, and certainly on the humidicrib and it gave me a sense of strength in the fact that if Manisha survived, then maybe our baby will survive as well, right? And it's just extraordinary. I, I'm, um, you know, over here in, in America, I'm not sure of the statistics in Australia, one in nine pregnancies um, is a premature birth. And um, I'm an ambassador for March of Dimes here. Um, so I, I know all of this. And um, I photographed in NICUs now around the world. Um, and it's, it's just been awesome but that one image of Manisha who's now um, 26 years old she just turned 26 last wow. week um, and she's a photographer in her own oh, right wow that's amazing yeah. full circle did she intern for you as well a bit yeah, she did she did you know I'll tell you a funny story right um, so the drinking age in in Australia is 18 yeah. still is it yes yeah. okay. so anyway Manisha's interning there and you tend to get stuck in your with the babies as they were in the images. Right. right? And, and anyway, so she's there interning and it was Friday and we finished a shoot and so I got a bottle of wine out of the fridge at the studio and I said, oh, anyone like a glass of wine? And Manisha's like, yeah, I'll have one. And I kind of looked at her and I said, that, that is not right. <laughs> you would have been oh, very no, protective. And, <laughs> you know, rolling her eyes. So I, are you really? Has it been 18 years, you know? Oh. Um, 
Yeah, but it's just lovely. It's nice to keep in touch with a lot of them. Yeah, that would be beautiful. And I'd love that you say that uh, shoot work that is meaningful to you. I think that's so important and that needs to be sort of the first thing you do. And I just want to go back to that that first shoot that you did that you decided, you know, here's here's what I want to do. Where did that where did that inspiration come from for that idea? What 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 is it? Is it the the children's books that you like what inspired you to create in this new way well it wasn't a new way to me it was the only way mm. to me because mm. that's where I you know as I said it felt like coming home as soon as yeah. I walked into a studio and it was this absolute simplicity of the studio um, you can control the lights and you only need one light mm. heaven you know it's all everyone's you know getting all you know, just tell your own story with simplicity and meaning. And um, to me, I love little kids and, you know, I used to watch them on the street and you can you can still see them now, right? They're hilarious because they're down at knee level, right? And it's a society at knee level, right? It literally, well, we're all going about our business, they're doing their thing as well, right? And so I would say to parents, um, don't fuss too much if they want to wear odd shoes or they, you know, don't, don't, don't worry about it because you know what, you're, I'm going to photograph your two-year-old now. You want to see their gorgeous little bodies and, and their attitude and so on. So I kept it super, super simple. Um, and I, I used to say to them, you are going to cherish this photograph for many years. And when you're looking at this image in 20 years time, what are you going to remember? It was was it the style of the day, or and there's a lot of that sort of thing happening now. You know, it's just going to date, right? Mm. Or are you going to look at that simple image of that little two-year-old and think that's what he was like, or that's what she was like on that day, right? Because you're creating a memory for somebody, and memories need to be classic mm. because. Otherwise, they will date and they won't stand the test of time. And, and you know, some of the most memorable images um, are from 100 years ago, you know, um, and they, they do stand the test of the time. And, and the thing is, when, when you look at it, it's, it's indefinable sometimes. You look at an image and think, why is that magical? Why? Right? What happened there? And you just want to enjoy it right and it needs to move you in some way and but that said i know there's going to be a lot of photographers who are there listening to this going well it's all right for you and because you're able to do your own thing with your books and your calendars and and so on but i started by doing that one image a month if you're if you are you know working commercially and hopefully you are um or if you're you know doing portraits which is what i was doing take one day a month and do something for yourself right and that's the way you'll develop that's the way your truth will come out mm. right it's it'll come from within you not from looking at other people's work right that's that that's it needs to come from the opposite direction so if i veered off 
Am I no, 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 your... you're good, you're good. Um, I just want to go um, into the studio with you for a sec now and uh, I'm not going to ask you about your lighting, but what I want to know, like for me, when I'm doing uh, a portrait shoot, uh, for me, the technical part of the portrait is 5%. I put 5% importance on that, but that 5% has taken me uh, 30 years to get to, right? But the other, the work in the portrait for me, the 95% of my time is spent on that connection and looking out for that that little moment in between a frame or that 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 tangent that the person I'm photographing will go off on so it's all about that connection how how do you work how much work are you doing on the day and I've seen some behind the scenes uh shoots with you and I know you work hard to to get that connection but but what are you doing and how much time are you spending is it very quick or um what what is it that you're looking for or is it intuitive and and hard to describe well, it depends. Um, look, I, uh, 99.9% of the time, I try, well, 100, excuse me, 100% of the time, I try to have met these people before the day, right? Now, you, I know you probably photograph a lot of celebrities yep. and, and that sort of thing, right? So, but I'm not talking about that, right? I'm talking about, let, well, let me describe like a, port, a recent portrait that I just did, right, um, mm-hmm. here in New York. It, it, to me, it makes a huge difference. Um, I, I went to visit them in their apartment, right? Um, and they had a little uh, two-month-old baby. So I went there and I spent an hour sitting there um, chatting to Andy, the mother, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And just, just chatting, right? So they feel like they know you before they come to the studio. Um, because people think, oh, Andy Gettys wouldn't do that. But that's the key to it, right, is they need to trust you right because you know you put yourself on the other side of the camera um you you're vulnerable right yes and they they need to feel as if they know me it's a huge step forward if for people who have never been in a photographic studio before that when they came in the following day or a couple of days later we knew each other right and um for instance some of the big campaigns that i did um for raising awareness, right, of meningitis, right? Um, I always met the um, survivors that I was going to photograph the day before and, and because they need that sense of trust in me. And um, it, it, it just makes huge inroads, right? You, and then I can think about, okay, let me tell you this little story about um, a little girl called, um, uh, what's her name? Is that yellow? Talking to um, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's a little girl from Spain. Hang on, it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, and I photographed her in London, and she had lost both legs um, and a lot of her fingers to meningitis. And this was a couple of years ago. Victoria, her name is. That's yeah. right. And um, she came from Spain to London uh, the, the day before the shoot. And she had just recently had um, her amputations done and everything. And so her parents brought her there to the studio to hope that it would give her a sense of confidence in herself, that I would make her look beautiful. Yeah. Um, and they, they already knew my reputation, of course. And, you know, it's a huge thing to put your child forward 
for a campaign like this when they've had so much damage through this disease. And so Victoria came in the afternoon before I was to photograph her. And honestly, I've got to tell you, Gina, she was like the saddest little child I'd actually experienced, right? She was just, she was just like completely shut down. Yeah. Um, and um, um, she wouldn't speak to me or... Um, you know, she was just so shy and she wouldn't acknowledge anyone around her and, and everything. And I can imagine it was quite overwhelming. And so um, um, I had this feather theme. I won't go into that going through the whole thing, the whole this whole campaign. I had some beautiful little bird's feathers um, there and I handed Victoria a little feather and um, said, well, you need to take this back to the hotel and take care of it for me. Um, and, and bring it back when you come tomorrow because it's so beautiful. And so she just kind of took it and didn't say anything. And But then she had a chance to go away and process it in, within herself, right, that I'd given her something to take care of. And so therefore she, there must, I must place value in her as well, right? Yeah. And she came, came back the next morning and she was a little bit lighter, right, and... Um, she gave me the feather and I showed her this little nest that we um, were making to be in her beautiful photograph. And so we got her on set and um, um, she was holding this little nest and, and thank goodness for digital photography as well in this case. And I don't often say that a lot because it doesn't really matter to me whether it's digital or film or whatever, right? Um, but she could see herself on the screen when I was photographing her. And all of a sudden, you know, she just gradually started to open up and um, she, and a little smile would happen. And, and then by the time she left, she was saying to her parents, I don't want to go. I want to take more photos. And, you know, it's it's, That's beautiful. it's, it's psychology, right? Yeah. It's not. And, and you're right about the 5%. Maybe I disagree a little bit about the 5% because... If you're starting out, it's 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 the other it's it's the other way around. When you're starting out, it's ninety five percent technique, and the five percent is the work. I think, but I think it gets you you see the importance of that connection um, and putting that essence of the person into the portrait as, as you get more and more experienced. Well, that's my my understanding anyway. You've got to make people feel at ease. Yeah, and and you've got to have them trust you that you yes. know what you. And even if you don't know what you're doing, right? You just got to yeah, fake it, right? And um, and and that's the only way to 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 think about it. Look, get to know all your gear and you know, um, and know what lights do. But it's really not that complicated. Yeah. Some people yeah. make it super super complicated when it doesn't need to be. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's a beautiful story. It must be um, just the best feeling to um, have that experience where you can show someone uh, the beauty that you see in them when they don't believe it themselves. So um, just getting down to, so so there is a, a lot of preparation that goes into these uh, folio shoots that you do and these uh, special projects. So how many are there on your team? Have you got someone um, helping you? Uh, have you got someone that's uh, trying to get the baby's attention? How does that all work? Well, I've worked with the same um, props and styling person ever since down in the garden and um, oh, Dawn yeah. McGowan. And she lives, still lives in Auckland. Um, and so, you know, thank goodness for, like, we're planning 
you know, something that that's in the future. Uh, I was just talking to her on FaceTime last night, you know, thank goodness for FaceTime and Skype and, and things like that because um, she's she's great and, and we can read each other's minds, right? Um, and you can't buy that sort of connection. Mm. Um, I've had to adjust a little bit um, coming to New York and start to work with new people, but... You know, you gradually get to work with a team of people and, and it's so, so important that um, you can trust them, yeah. right, when you're working with little children and, and, and so on. Um, so it's not, a, it's not a big team. It's really not a big team, right? Some of the big campaigns, maybe like I have a, um, a producer and a DG person and um, – maybe two studio assistants and uh, that's about it, really. Yeah. Oh, and a nurse, and a nurse. I always have a nurse um, oh, really? in the Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but a nurse isn't necessarily a nurse. It's a, that, that, that is the most important person in the studio when I'm shooting is the person who's standing next to the baby yes. on set, right? They need to be very experienced. They need to absolutely focus on that baby and they never take their eye off that baby. That's their job, right? So I need to know that I can walk away from that baby back to the camera and everything is absolutely fine, right? Um, and so you can't you can't buy that sort of trust that you have with people and, and so on. And, you know, it's really nice to work with a great team um, who make it look really, really simple when really it's not at all, right? Everybody knows exactly what they're doing and exactly what's required of them. And you can and you you, you work with people who know how to read a room, right? You know what I mean? It's, yes. If you can read a room and you can, you know, particularly when you're working with newborns, you know, sometimes um, it's the first time the baby's been out of the house, right? And so... You know, there's a huge thing with maybe first-time mothers and they haven't had any sleep and, you know, I mean, everyone's anxious as a first-time mother. So it's more of a really nice sense of family when they come in so they can relax and know, okay, everyone's everyone's really got this, you know. And, and it's always really important for me to make sure that they have um, a really nice experience themselves. That That's really, really important to me. And invariably people who have been at shoots will contact me later and say, look, I, I honestly never thought it would be like that, you know. I thought it would be chaotic and noisy and so on, when really that's not the case, you know. If, if it's like that, then you're not running a set very well um, because babies don't cry most of the time. Yeah. Oh, mind you, I'm saying that because I don't have a baby sleeping at my house. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree that a hundred percent with the, the, that um, idea that you need to have that team that you can work with, and even if it's for someone starting out, just that assistant where you've got that shorthand where you've worked together so long that just they can recognise that by the slope of your shoulders that you know yep. so, something's not right, and they'll and they have your back. I think that that's what yep. makes a good assistant that someone that is looking after you and everything else that's going on, so that you as the photographer can just focus on what you need to do which is seeing that shot when it when it when it when it appears 
Right. And you need to control the room, yep. right? As yep. photographer, it's your show, right? You need to control the room. Um, and um, But that comes from a sense of confidence yes. in yourself. You know, I hear all these stories about photographers going ballistic and throwing things and blah, blah, blah. That's just insecurity, right? Yes. Anyone who behaves like that is, you know, that's just ridiculous. Um, you're not going to get the best out of people by carrying on like that. Yeah, I, I love that uh, that you say about controlling the room and, and that with that confidence because when you're a new photographer and you're not really sure what it is that you're trying to photograph, you haven't kind of worked that out, then if you hesitate, um, and I've seen this happen a lot, then everyone else will jump in and you start to see the, the client has something to say or the, you know, the makeup artist pipes up and be, be, because uh, you as the photographer are hesitating. And I think um, the only way that you can develop that confidence is experience. Yes, yes. Don't, don't ever ask. I've been in shoots with a... Um, um, a couple of new people in situations. I think it was over in Seattle at one shoot, and um, the digi said to me, "So how collaborative is the lighting?" And I looked at him <coughs> and I said, "It's not." <laughs> <laughs> I've got a smile that I flash at people. It's called my Sicilian stare, and uh, everyone that's worked with me knows it. But it's basically uh, my mother taught me. It's where you look and you smile but your eyes are dead cold and uh <laughs> and that everyone just knows i'll just get the stare and they're like okay so that's yeah. the lighting then <laughs> when, I, when i was shoot back when i'm shooting polaroids right before um digital um and like everyone wants to help they're not being arrogant or anything no. they just everyone's looking over your shoulder and offering advice and so, so on and so on. And I used to say, I, I'm just going to go to the bathroom. Um, and I'd go in there and sit there and just look at the Polaroid and figure it out myself, um, what I needed to do. Sometimes you just need to get into clear headspace. But the one thing that I always say um, when I'm giving advice with lighting is just change one thing Right? Don't if you if you've got your lighting set up there and you're thinking, what is it? It's just not not quite right. What is it that I need to do? Change one thing. Don't go and change a whole lot of things because that just confuses the issue and and you know your your mind gets a bit scrambled. Change one thing and then see how that looks, and then change another thing. Just one step at a time. Don't just go and change everything and you know. Um, it just becomes a mishmash, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so by now you would have your lighting down pat, and I, I imagine you could get something lit fairly quickly. But when you were starting out, did you um, pre-light your, your shots? Or would oh, yeah. you test oh. and would you use uh, something like a, a baby a baby doll um, yes. to do that with? Yeah. Look, if you're photographing um, adults, you can say, Look, if you sit here, let me do that, and they'll do it. You know, it's like it's, a, it's like a miracle. I'd be yeah. like, oh my god, you know. But you can't do that with babies and and young children. And so, as soon as they're in the studio, it needs to be all about them, right? Yes. They're the ultimate divas, right? You just, it, you know, I, I was joked that, you know, you you bring a, a newborn baby home, and it's kind of like this little character moves into your house and goes, make me happy. <laughs> Because if I'm not happy, 
everyone in this house is going to be unhappy with me. <laughs> and that's what you need to do if you're photographing them in the studio. Just everything revolves around them. You have your lighting set, everything, everything ready to go, right? Um, because you don't want to keep them waiting. Sometimes you've only got, you know, 30 seconds. Yeah. Sometimes you've got more, you know, that's never, ever keep them waiting. Yeah. So have a team around you that you can trust so that you can focus on your work. Have your lighting ready to go. Uh, is there another tip that you can give for, for uh, newbies or, or, you know, anyone who uh, wants to start, start out photographing babies? Well, I think don't start just photographing babies. Start mm. photographing people, you know, yeah. and, and I'm not going to – don't go looking at what everyone else is doing. Just yeah. do what you want to do, right? You can – as a photographer, you can be a copier yeah. or you can be a photographer, right? Yeah. And so, you know, and you need to find your own way. In fact, you know, with this um, – I know you're going to talk about the Patreon thing yes. and everything. Um, what I've been doing um, – um, with people who become my patrons is I started to do a whole series of um, how I did this image, right? Yes. What it was like, what it, you know, what it was like in the pre-production, um, how I felt about the creativity, how I got to that point, how it was actually shot and, and everything. And I'm actually quite enjoying that, yes. um, being able to tell those stories because, you know, you do a lot of interviews um, and they're generally like three or four minutes. Yeah. Um, and so it's really hard to really get into it. Um, so, uh, you know, I just yesterday or the day before told the story of um, how I shot Sagittarius from the signs of the Zodiac. Yep. Um, yeah, so, you know, and it takes me like half a day to actually – take myself back there and think, what would these guys be interested in hearing from me, you know? Um, and I, I started to remember things that I never thought I'd remember, which is which is great. Fantastic. So let, let's get on to your, um, the, the charity work that you do. So I, I think that um, for photographers starting out, um, one of the best ways to get in front of influential people is to donate your services to a charity because often on the boards, they're, um, you know, people of, uh, you know, um, high up in other companies and it's a great way for you to um you know, hone your skills and, and network. And, and plus, uh, the going home after you've done a charity shoot, I think there is no greater feeling in the world than, than helping others. And you, in your entire career, have done so much great work for charity. So do you want to just tell us, uh, you, you're working with, uh, you're an ambassador for several different charities. Do you want to just tell us about that and also uh, the Patreon that you've got going on at the moment? Yeah. Well, like with the Patreon, um, um there's a lot of people who are kind of, what's what does Patreon mean, right? And the thing is, I was in Washington um, a couple of months ago, um, and with, with representing the Professional Photographers of America, and and with a whole lot of creators who are who are in the similar situation that I've been in, right? And I surprised myself. We were talking to Congress down there, and um, um, and and I said, you know, do you realise? that I haven't been in a studio creating those Anne Gettys images that people know and, and hopefully love since 2015, right? Because the, the end game is just not there anymore, right? I, I mean, I do, um, you know, the work for meningitis awareness and, and um, uh, March of Dimes and, and so on, but 
you know, for me to actually create those images um, that I've done over the years, there was always what happened at the other end was there was a book or greeting cards or so on. And what they did was fund the next lot of images, right? And so for me to create, um, say, 12 images for a, um, a, a brand new calendar, Cost between two hundred and fifty and three hundred thousand dollars, right? Yeah. People may be shocked to hear that, but it's the level of detail that goes into them, um, and it, it, people just really have no idea, right? And so that's what I've started to explain in the Patreon thing. And I have been frustrated because I can't create because there is no end game, right? And so. I haven't been able to do it. It's just my hands are tied. And but then people would say, "Well, well, you've got a lot of money, you know," which is not the case, right? But, um, it, that why don't you just pay for it yourself? But that, that's not a good business model for any artist at all, yeah. right? What people need to be educated to is the fact that to create art, artists need to be making a living, right? Yes. And so, you know, that's what Patreon is all about. It's it's a Crowdsourcing, I don't like that word. You know, it's if you like an artist and you love what they're doing, you can help support them, right? And in return, say, you know, people who have become my patrons, I've only been doing this for six weeks. Yeah. Um, I said, I'm saying to them, you help me create 12 new images for a calendar, right? And I've got a great theme, which I'm going to be revealing soon. Um, some of my patrons know what it is, but, you know, we're like the Patreon family. I've told them they all got a shush. Yes. Right? <laughs> um, and so you helped me create these images, and we will create a beautiful, beautiful calendar, That bringing calendars back, you know. Maybe it doesn't even have a date pad. It's just beautiful images yeah. that people can turn once a month. And I'll donate all of my royalties to March of Dimes. That's fantastic. And, and so along the way, it's not just that they are supporting me financially. I'm taking them into my world and telling them all about, you know, some of the images that I've done in the past and how I felt about it. And, um, you know, I just told a story um, to them yesterday about a, a little um, 12-year-old girl down over in the UK who's been, you know, photographing my plush and everything and it's they come into my world and they there are different tiers um where you get actually different benefits yeah but i do a live stream once a month with q and a's right um people can be a part of the whole process i take them through how i come up with the ideas um i'm going to be doing um um lots of um, live crosses in terms of making the costumes um, where we're going to shoot this and how I find the babies. And then when I'm actually shooting, they come into the studio with me, right? Wow. And so it's, they feel as if they're actually a part of it. Yes. Um, and, and and it's been nice for me too because I know that there are a whole bunch of like-minded people, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, that's that's the ba- basically the way it works. And so, you know, they feel um, that they're helping us all to make a difference with March of Dimes. And March of Dimes are thrilled about it as well. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, and so it's a way for me to continue to create 
and to continue to make a difference, which is what I've always wanted to do, but I haven't been able to do it since um, 2015. So I'm, I'm super excited about this, yeah. Oh, it's so exciting. So we will put all the links uh, in the show notes to the uh, your Patreon, to your website, to your you're, – you're getting quite active on Instagram now, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yes. so they can follow you on Instagram, which is fantastic. And uh, I think this is – I do it all myself. I do it all myself. Good stuff. I think it's such a great opportunity um, for anyone who uh, wants to learn from uh, one of the best in the world. You can get direct access uh, to yeah, you it, via the Patreon, which is um, – uh, you. you there's nowhere you can go where you can get that sort of like 30 plus years of experience. So that's fantastic. Um, Is there anything you want to add uh, before I let you go? And I don't I think I've talked too much. Covered it. Oh, I think I it's talk- been fantastic. I could go for another uh, couple of hours, but, you know, we kind of want to keep it to, uh, you know, a, a normal commute into work <laughs> as well. So, but uh, we can we can get you back on um, down the track and, um, you know, catch up and find out how, how, it, how it's all going. I, I'd love to do that. Um, so, yeah, I say thank you so much for coming on the show. I've, uh, I've, really love talking to you it's been uh, really interesting hearing your story so thank you and i've loved talking about it as well you know it's really nice uh, you know photography can be quite isolating for a lot of people yeah. and sometimes it's actually really nice to actually talk to people um who are like-minded you know and and um actually think about some of the things god i've got some stories i can tell you yeah well there's more for another show so yeah best of luck with uh with the with the uh the new calendar i can't wait to see your work and i'll definitely be uh following you and keeping an eye on it all so thanks again Anne. thanks gina and thanks everybody for listening Wow, what a fantastic conversation with Anne Giddies. I mean, oh, if you've been living under a rock and don't know who Anne Giddies is, you, well, you've just been schooled, but also <laughs> you're obviously very young. <laughs> uh, and you can check her out at Anne, A-N-N-E, Geddes, G-E-D-D-E-S, Com. And if you want to check out what's happening over on her Patreon site, go to patreon.com slash And um, stay up to date with what she's doing there. Fantastic stuff. Yep. So, Gina, what's going to be happening in the next week or so for you? Oh, I've got some shoots coming up. What am I doing uh, this week? Lifestyle. I've got some editing to do, and um, I'm trying to teach myself how to make almond bread, Val. Oh, and I've talked about my because um, I just want to learn how to make it. But I also, um, have you heard about microdosing? Microdosing what substances? Well, so you know, you take a substance and uh, you have a small amount, and it's supposed right. to be really good for you. Now, some people do it with uh, like um, substances, like uh, uh, psycho. Uh, what, what are psychedelics. they? Psychedelics. Yes, yeah, psychedelics. But I've found a better use, Val. What's that? I've been microdosing Nutella because oh, what you do. But how can you like? Uh, that's so you, ridiculous. You how can, can you satiate Val? yourself? 
You can that's, because they've got these little jars. That's so because you know, your concept of microdosing <laughs> is like half a jar. No. So normally I have the one kilo jar, right? <laughs> and if the, one of those is in the cupboard, it's probably two nights. It's gone. But Not even. I've seen you do it. It's the bizarrest thing. I've seen you devour one right so before now, my eyes. So now you can get the teeny tiny jars mm-hmm. and it's, it's like two teaspoons, I think it's more than and two teaspoons. In a jar, it's like maybe three teaspoons. More and so that. I'm like, I thought, well, that's a good way to like kind of try and, um, you know, limit the dosage that I'm having and, and maybe, you know, so I don't pull the record over summer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I've been doing that. So I went and bought like 20 of them. And here's where the experiment went horribly wrong. Okay. What happens? I just ate all 20, didn't I? No way. Are yeah. you serious? So oh you think, and God. then you think you're not having as much, but you actually end up eating more. So yeah. it's just like this addiction, I need to really do something about it. Yes. What right. about you, Val? What have you got going on? I don't think I will be microdosing, but <laughs> I will need to get organized because I am in a group exhibition for my yeah. art in mid-January. Amazing. Um, yeah, that's going to go on for maybe three weeks or so. And where's um, that, Val? That uh, is going to be in Piermont in Sydney. Uh, the exhibition is called Harmony and there's several artists. It's yeah. not just me. So that's a group exhibition and I need to get organised because I haven't quite figured out um, which which um, pieces of artwork to go in that. Amazing. And How then, many pieces, Val, are you, you going to be showing? Oh, probably only a handful, maybe only two or three in that one. Right. Um, and then I have to get organised because I have a solo exhibition in April uh, in Darling Square in Sydney. Amazing. And, um, how many so, pieces in that, Val? I'm not sure. I need to check, but obviously more. more. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I need to get organised for that. And in the meantime, I am preparing for the Sydney Lunar Festival, which I'm the curator of, and that means lots of um, site visits and meetings and checking out the art installations and um, and f- working on all of those things. Amazing. Going to rehearsals. Gong yeah. Shi Fat Say. Close, not bad. How'd yes. I go? It means yeah, hope you good, get rich, actually. isn't it? It means what? Hope you get rich. <laughs> it means happy new, happy new year. Yeah, and prosperity. <laughs> okay, May you have yes. good fortune and prosperity. Is that right? So Is it's what you say. At, uh, at, it's what you say. It's like a happy new year kind of It's like a happy new what, How did I get it wrong? Gong Shi Fat Say. It's not quite right, but it's close enough, Gina. Is it? Would people and, understand uh, if I was busting that out on New Year's? They probably would if they spoke Chinese. They um, would? So, um, yeah. So, but, you know, Lunar New Year is celebrated by many cultures, yeah. including Vietnamese and Korean and, uh, you know, different um, cultural groups within Indonesia and the Philippines and Thailand as well. Um so it's a huge festival. There's going to be 1.5 million people. So I'm going to be busy for the next month. Amazing. Super busy time for you, Val. 
Yes. Very, but very always exciting. enough time to chat to you and our fantastic yes, listeners. Yes, and we appreciate it, Val. So where do we find you online, Gina? You find me at ginamilitia.com. So that's G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. And you can find me on all social media at Gina Militia. And if you would like to be mentored by me and take your photography to the next level, then check out the Gold community. So just go to ginamilitia.com and click on join the community. What about you, Val? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com where I have all of my updates. So thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit ginamilitia.com.